With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Sports Day. I think the text machine, the temper text machine, Coons, is on my side. Correct on all, all points. Love it. Brilliant. Mitch Marsh is a battler. We love him. We need a fighter. A, a rare W agree. from you. Tom. A rare W for an editorial that I thought was going to be more divisive. <laughs> um, have to remember that Marsh's dad, Jeff, wasn't an opener either when he first came to the test team and debuted at five, for, uh, five or six. Australia's made many middle-order batsmen Test openers, look at history. Cheers from Martin. Well, one man that certainly knows how to speak about this, Coons, is our next guest. So if you haven't listened to the Grey Cricketer podcast, there's only one way you can say it. You're missing out. But the good news <laughs> is it's not too late. Ian Higgins and our next guest, Sam Perry, intertwine proper cricket discussion with an array of cultural and sporting themes and have done it for many years. Now they are about to bark on what I'm calling an Australian tour. Five shows across five cities, I believe. And they've also got... A presence on Channel 7, in all good bookstores, thanks to two novels, YouTube, and a brand new purely online writing arm, which we'll discuss oh, as well. I played cricket with Sam Perry at St Kilda about 12 years ago, Coons, and by then, well, it's fair to say his love for batting had waned. But it's been a pleasure to watch uh, this originally niche Twitter idea grow into a worldwide sensation. Pez... Welcome to Sports Day. Oh, what a rap. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm completely sheepish as a result of you saying that. Uh, like, I was hoping you would mention our cricketing career together, mm. Tommy, because a lot, like, like, I feel privileged to be in your lab now. Like, here we are in SCN. This is where you do your best work. And we can actually see, you know, if you can put your money where your mouth is. How would you describe our cricketing time together, Pez? It was short and sweet. You were young. You were fresh out of school. I was about 20. Wide-eyed, yeah. uh, enthusiastic, loving the game. Uh, yeah. I, w- I was, you know, a really old 25, grizzled into a full-time <laughs> job, having only just moved to Melbourne, wanting to meet some blokes, went down to St Kilda. Uh, I think we kind of bonded over basically enjoying telling stories about cricket more than actually playing yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, you were a, like a, a serviceable wicketkeeper with okay gloves uh, and, a, and a gritty uh, bat mm. uh, with, with good resilience and a sound technique, but yeah. probably lacking in punch and explosion. Yep. Um, and I was just hopeless at that point, so yeah. uh, I didn't last too long. But you know, Coons, Pez has played cricket at the highest club level in New South Wales, including against the likes of what, Doug Bollinger, Stephen O'Keefe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah I'll name him if you want. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah no, yeah, well, no, a lot of guys. No, I, I, I had the privilege of playing against Phil Hughes, for example. He's probably the best. Kadich, um, and uh, yeah, you said Bollinger, uh, O'Keefe. Steve, I played against Steve Smith when he was eighteen. I played against Phil Jakes. He hit he hit three hundred and twenty against us. Did you sledge Smith he, when he was eighteen? No, he was actually really kind. I remember he. Um, 
I was at the non-striker's end once and he tried to take a court and bold and he um, landed on me in diving and he was extremely heavy. Uh, that, that's all I remember. And, and he said, yeah, and he, and he said, sorry, mate. Uh, that was, uh, and I thought that was like a bit out of character for an Australian cricketer at that time to apologise. Uh, well, but, you, you, you did say you were hopeless, but what, what were your strengths as a, as a great cricketer and how did you go against some of those guys? He's got a ton. You've got a great cricket ton in New South Wales, don't you? Uh, I, I I do. It wasn't it wasn't at the first grade level though. But oh, um, right, okay. Uh, oh no, Doesn't I was count. a I I like barely made it into first grade. I would have averaged like um, high teens at best. Probably like it's uh, like similar to me. Yeah, I, I I got in as an opening bat that basically took the shine off the new ball sometimes. <laughs> uh, and you know, that, and I played fifty games of that with, with yeah. some with some good memories. Very little success. Uh, I played every grade, and. Um, you know, and I'm I'm glad I've seen the back of it. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I've made a business off the back of the experience. Yeah. You know, because because well, really, in like club cricket, and people understand this, uh, following sport at all levels across Australia, like it's not really what happens on the field that matters. Like that's the experience. It's what's happening off the field. It's what's happening in the social hierarchies. You know, it's what's happening in the in the showers. Uh, that, and yep. you know, we, we we built a little bit of a uh, like a Twitter account off the back of it, and then just we were just talking about the culture of of, of cricket, and and it resonated with people. So how, yeah, so it started on Twitter. Tell us about the the progression then, and yeah, what's your what's been your best idea? Oh, uh, <laughs> getting others to help. Uh, to yeah. be honest, no. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I was working like a corporate job at Telstra, and I'd started this Twitter account called the Grade Cricketer. Um, the week before, like like earlier, I would written a blog post called How to Make It in Grade Cricket, an instructional guide, and it was basically everything you can do in grade cricket to make it to the top without actually being good at the game itself. You know what I mean? Like when to shower with people, um, how to go about drinking your beers, uh, how to speak to others, how to, um, you know, like put other people down, uh, all that kind of thing. It took off. I got, I got um, feedback from Justin Langer, who said he really liked it, which is kind of um, scary thing about that now. Uh, um, Gideon, hey, got in touch. So I thought, oh, there's, there's an idea in this. So I started this anonymous Twitter account at the when, time. When was this? Do you remember exactly? Yeah, I do remember. Uh, 2012. You were at uh, St Kilda at this time, weren't you? Yeah, I was. But I didn't tell anybody at the time. I th- yeah. But I remember you asking me, have you got any ideas for a tweet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I was crowdsourcing already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and my idea, and we were wa- and I'd just gotten out, and you were out earlier, and we were walking around the outside of the Harry Trotter Oval yeah. to the sight screen and the sight the sight screen at the Harry Trot, which is where old collegians play footy coons, is and we're playing District Twos at the time, is just well known because the wheels are flat on the sight screen. <laughs> and I said to Pez, there is no worse feeling in the world yeah. than getting out for nothing and then having to move the sight screen for the next batter. Yeah. And you tweeted it, and I remember yeah. you tweeted it. That was early days. Well, that's the thing. Like when you play the game, people you know who are listening would play all sorts of sport. Like you pick up little nuances of it when you're at the ground. Like it's just tactile. You can feel it. You can see it. Like. Even going for a lap in cricket when you're both dismissed, there's probably about five volunteer jobs that need to be done when you're out. You know, like someone will ask you to score, mm. someone will ask you to mix the drinks, and like that has its own hierarchy, which is decided upon by your seniority, the stories that you've told in the sheds, all that kind of thing. So going for a lap around the over with a friend, someone you actually like, is probably one of the better volunteer jobs. Yeah. You know what it's I mean? It's an escape. Yeah, and you can walk around the field with him and bitch about everybody else in the team <laughs> out of their earshot. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, there's, there's a lot there's, of that. There's a, but that's that's what cricket is. It's not really what happens on the field. Even the guy, guys up the top of the game, you talked to Pete Hanscom before. I know he played club cricket. You know, all the other internationals. Like, I always tell them, you know, you guys are missing out on the real experience mm. of cricket, the drudgery. Like, they're fine with their millions, to be fair to them. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> How, can you help me get in with my local cricket 
team. So I'm 38 years of age. Yep. I've played two games in my life in the last six weeks, mm. in the fifths for St. Peter's. Yep. Uh, I come in at 10 and I, and I bowl two overs. Yep. How, how, do I, how do I integrate myself with the team so I can become popular? So you want to go up the grades? The first thing to no, do. No, I don't want to go up the grades. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Just want to be I just a good want bloke. to be accepted by my yeah. own teammates. It probably starts off the field, to be honest, Coons, and I suspect you have a, a fair idea um, <laughs> where, where to begin with that. But it probably starts with it probably starts with showering. Probably starts with how to put people down uh, a little bit, choosing your targets. Probably starts with. Um, how to suck up to the club president uh, a little bit. I'm just trying. I'm just going off the top of my head like that. The yeah. how-to guide of fitting in. It is. It is. Same. It's. It's really socialising with your mates. Really, isn't it? You know, like it's telling good stories. It's having chat other than cricket when you're playing. Pez, it, it just strikes me that I mean everything you say is true and correct because I've lived it myself. But it's also an incredibly, and I mean this in a polite way, cynical way to look at cricket. Yes. A sport that many people enjoy endlessly and that people play all over the world. How much of what you say do you think is entirely accurate? And how much of what you say do you think is the very dark side of what is accurate? <laughs> you're not allowed to ask that to a satirist, Tom. Like you, yeah. You're actually asking me what I really think yeah, about the really game. What do you really think about the game? No, I think it's a great game. And I think <laughs> when you turn up at a club, you should be a nice, polite, yeah. kind person yeah. to people and enjoy yourself. But not everyone but like, is. I, I suppose what I'm, look, you know, it was just sort of part of my background with what I studied and what I was working in at the time. Like I enjoy telling stories. I, I, my observation playing grade cricket was that was this like all of these bizarre, cynical, um, defenseless, like unwritten rules for making your way up the grades that had nothing to do with your quality as a player. And <laughs> I guess fundamentally, I'm probably angry at it and I'm still angry now, but I just channel it through this, uh, you know, this venture that we have. I mean, really, that's it. So we took... We talk about uh, people loving cricket, but um, and again, I'm in a group chat with everyone. All they seem to do is pray for rain. Why does no one want to play? Well, yeah, <laughs> and people will say they're doing that because they're sort of strategically correct or whatever. But really, like pray, playing, like praying for rain, or playing for rain, is uh, is really just a response to anxiety. Um, at the end of the day, like you want it to rain because you don't want to deal with your own failures. <laughs> your when, failure. and, and when that ha- and in cricket, like even like Bradman failed more than half the time, and he was the best by double on the next person. So, th- <laughs> like in in cricket, you normally fail. You have one in four good days if you're a really really good player. Uh, so, so typically, if rain's around, it's basically curtailing um, <laughs> impending failure, and so it feels amazing when it's that when it starts raining, even though that's completely contrary to why you play the game. Like you've you've paid your subs. You spend, you know, two hours, three hours each week training. You give up your whole weekend for it. It's basically a part-time job that you pay to do. Uh, and then when rain comes around, you're really happy that you don't have to do it. It, it is a bizarre psychological experience. Yeah, that's right. And, and even the cricket I play on the weekend, it rained so much that we didn't have to um, report to the ground. Oh, that's, that's And handy. it is an, an amazing out-of-body experience to not have to even go to the ground where some of my mates who play for other teams have to go there and sit there for two or three hours yeah. and they hate every moment of it. Yeah. It's a disaster. Yeah, exactly. I, I, was, I was actually, sorry, Tommy, I was, I was walking to High Point on Saturday with my kids mm. and somebody um, recognised me from the show and was commentating to me in the car park about him receiving a text about not having to report to grounds. <laughs> my children were shocked. They had no idea what was going <laughs> on. Five weren't. and three, yeah. Well, Who's that scary man, Dad? But, yeah, and I ran away. But, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Um, uh, it's a big leap from a business perspective to go from having a Twitter account, this is 10 or 11 years ago, to monetizing it and writing books, doing live shows, YouTube, going to England, going to India. What was that leap like? And, how, and what was, was there a specific moment that allowed you to, to take that jump? 
Uh, no, I don't think there was a specific moment. I mean, what's it been like? It's been really fun. It's, it's been the thrill of a lifetime and I feel really grateful to, um, at, at least in this at this point, like do something that I love doing and, and talking about something that, that I love as well. You know, we've all probably worked in jobs that have been less than interesting. Uh, so I'm really grateful for it. We work, we work really hard. Uh, he goes an eye on it. There was no one particular moment. It's just a result of yeah. a lot of work. And at the end of the day, like entertainment, as we all know, uh, some more intimately than others, you know, is, um, a very fragile existence. And so we, we sit on the edge sometimes with the things we say at TGC, we could be canceled at any moment. Uh, I'm, I'm aware of that. So I don't at any point think that we've kind of made it. And at the end of the day, I'm really grateful to people who, um, who have got behind the show because at the end of the day, we're talking about stuff that resonates with them. And if they didn't like it, then we wouldn't have jobs. We wouldn't have sponsors. We wouldn't have audience. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's cool that they get behind us. Have you had a moment or two or many where you've thought, Oh, that, that, that really missed. Oh. Have I? What, what? What? Where do I go from here? Yeah, every week <laughs> I get off my. The thing is, like we, um, we are lucky enough to have a studio now, and we have like he goes and I, and we have a strange experience where like we're the only people we see. Uh, we we have one other staff member. We have the only people we see. Um, every day, so you can imagine the kind of like and your, fam- um, and your family. Of course, I just mean at work, yeah. right? Um, in we get cabin fever, and so you end up getting to a stage where you're saying things on air that you both have find particularly funny, and then you realise in the cold light of day it may not be. It's a complete <laughs> in joke, or it might be you know inappropriate or whatever. So there are a lot of edits yeah. uh, that happened. I don't want to read. I want to. I don't want to call any of them out. But yeah, <laughs> we we have gone too far before for sure. What's been the most rewarding relationship that you've built with a player or a coach or a childhood hero? Uh, has any you have to pinch yourself? Um, uh, yeah. And yeah, you can name for sure. Duffy. I was a nuffy. Name- I was a cricket nuffy as a kid. Like, I, I loved cricket as a kid. Like, I was a posters on wall. I was backyard. I yeah. thought I was going to play for Australia. Like, I had the dream. I thought that was, like, what my life was going to be. Uh, you know, you know, I was just wrong about that deeply. <laughs> we all but, were. But, you know, I used to go out to the games. My dad took my dad. Loved the game. My um, On my mum's side, I've got family members who, who did well in cricket. So, it's on both sides of the family. So, for me... Um, being able to, um, you know, speak with guys who've gone all the way to the top is always a privilege, even though like I'm, I'm older than all of them now. Uh, I, I don't know who to um, call out with it. Like we've been lucky enough to speak to guys like, you know, like Ricky Ponting and um, in the current team, like I always love hanging out with uh, Adam Zampa and Stoyness and those guys are always like, they're good fun. Uh, but I'm, yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually struggling to think of somebody off the top. I'll tell, I tell you what, the, the one that sticks out to me that really means a lot to me was having the chance to interview, um, Michael Holding yeah. a couple of years ago. He just released a book, uh, on his experience of racism. It's called why we, like how we kneel, why we rise or the other way around, uh, why we kneel, how we rise. And that was a really cool chat for an hour with like a guy, you know, who was like, uh, the great villain, but such a respected bowler by, you know, my parents' generation, they call him whispering death. And there he was with the Caribbean accent, like down the, the zoom line talking to two, you know, can I say dickheads from second grade, uh, and sorry, I'm at, dumb, at, at yeah, best, yeah, at best, yeah. Second grade at uh, best. And, and that, that, that was really cool. That was yeah. really cool. So yeah. That's awesome. The subculture of cricket, and we, we talk about, uh, or you talk about a, a lot, um, f- calling people champ and things like that, bowler's name, all that sort of stuff. Since shining a light on, on that, do you feel like you may have made a difference in the cricketing subculture, in the mindset? Uh, you know what, like, uh, I just there's just no way you're going to catch me saying on here, oh yeah, absolutely, I've changed the culture. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll just never you say that. Say yes, no, though. but it's, it's not. It's just not, nod your head. It's not that. It's actually more, um, it's another thing I'm grateful for, like, 
I'm grateful for all the people in cricket who've contributed to that culture leading up to TGC. Like, I just feel like TGC has, um, I'm just a guy who shone a light on something that already existed. You know, I didn't make it. It's just there. And it's more, I think probably with the advent of, you know, digital storytelling devices, the internet, social media and stuff, it was just an opportunity to shine a light on something that already existed that other people had created. And I think it's given rise to other people doing the same thing as well. So uh, I don't think I've, like, or we have, have changed it. Probably more just shown that it exists. Uh, and, you know, men don't talk, Coons. So, you know, like yeah. to actually start talking about those things, I think was something that people got a lot of like, you know, humour and, and value out of. And, and we continue to do it while they want it. Well, they talk on the field. They sledge. Yes. Have you uh, and you have a lot of guests on? Is there is there one in particular or one you've heard or one that you really just enjoy? Because I I my my chat game in in cricket isn't great. I don't know. <laughs> I like from a, from a can sledging you, perspective. Can you, just, can you help a brother out? Uh. Um, it was really cool to talk. I know I mentioned like Stoyness before. It was pretty. It was cool to talk to. St- Stoinis once uh, during the twenty twenty one T twenty World Cup. He was over there in like. Uh, Abu Dhabi or wherever, yeah. wherever it was, UAE, sorry. And, um, and it's pretty, like, it's hard to get interviews with players mid tournament as well. So it was kind of cool for him to just say, yeah, I'll do it. He just had his like a, a normal t-shirt on, not like a cricket Australia polo. And they just beaten South Africa and he like got on air and basically was telling us what Matthew Wade was saying out in the middle, you know, like <laughs> yeah. they're nervous, we're calm, uh, and stuff like that. So that, like that, that, that was really cool. It's always nice when players like just sort of drop their guard a little bit and tell you things that you can't pick up on in other parts of media, I suppose, when they're a little bit more guarded. And, and maybe that's because so many of the international guys have like a, a lot of affection for their time playing club cricket. So they feel like they want to show that they're clubbies too, you know, yeah. so they, they end up telling you things that they don't say anywhere else, yeah. which is really cool. What do you think the future is for podcasting? How long would you do this podcast for? Oh, I don't know. I, I actually personally think um, podcasts are severely a severely underrated um, and underreported source of narrative for people in sport. Like I think a lot of people, I know we're on the radio at the moment. So, you know, the radio guys can also become a podcast. I appreciate that. You know, like I split into like seven different podcasts, right? But like, (laughs) um, I think that uh, like a lot, like the commercial side of sports media hasn't caught up with how many people are actually consuming their sports narration through devices like podcasts, Mm. to be honest, like uh, podcasts make so much more sense for people's lives today versus the way they used to. It's on demand. You can do it anytime, which is another way of saying on demand. And I'm just feeling time talking here. Uh, It's, it's, it's looser. You you know, it is, it's less, it's less edited. Uh, It's less crowded with, with sponsors. If it, you know, yeah, you can go for a long time. You can break the rules of of entertainment uh, a little bit. So yeah, as long as people like it, I'll keep doing it. So, is there a, a particular guest in the future mm. that you've you've got your eye on? How far ahead do you plan? Oh, good question. Good question. Um, I, you know what? Like this is this is probably bring it down to a darker level. Like my my absolute hero in cricket, like top of all top, was Shane Warne. I never got the chance to interview Warney uh, just oh, yeah. for various reasons. Like I, I was waiting for the right time because I don't think we're in his consciousness, which is fair enough. He's, he's diff- it was at different levels, Warney, but um, and and we we're also with Channel Seven, so that wasn't really going to be a goer. But um, that that was one you know that I that would have been really cool to do because yeah. he he was my like absolute because you're a leggy as well. We yeah, as a leggy, that. yeah, yeah. Well, that that was the dream, right, leggies. Yeah. But um, so yeah, there was Warney, which obviously is not going to happen. Um, 
I, I think we've spoken to all of the Aussies that I've wanted to speak to. I'm obviously going to remember one as soon as we I enjoyed get the chat there. with Mark War almost the most. Oh, yeah. Well, he, 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 he embodies king. a lot of the things that you criticise, yeah. but it suits him. It's perfect yeah. for him. I, I think Mark War is like an extremely authentic person, yeah. you know, yeah. like, but he's, there's just great stories about Mark War. Like, like this is, this is public knowledge. Like Mark War was an Australian selector and Dan Christian went, like he gave Dan Christian his New South Wales blues cat when he started playing for New South yeah. Wales. And, um, Christo went up to Mark Wall once and said, "What you know? What have I got to do to get a look in for the Australian side?" And Mark Wall said, "I've never really seen you play, mate." You know, like, <laughs> which, which is like such a um, that's such a great cricket comment. You know, yeah, like yeah. where you're establishing the alpha hierarchy. Yeah, but yeah. he's, oh, I think, he's really authentic. Are. Like, yeah. you know, I said to Junior on the show, like, "Oh, you know, you and your brother, like, you know, playing at the top level, you're so good at sport." And he just sort of sighed. Now it's like, yeah, Group One bloodlines. You know, like, uh, which is just how a lot of people like, like, you know, talk when it comes to sports. So yeah, and yeah. he he was a real hero of mine, Mark Wall as well. Loved how he played. More broader cricket um, discussion, Pez. The role former players have in cricket. So Mitchell Johnson's the one that's been in the headlines for the last couple of weeks because of an article he wrote over in the West. Is there such a thing as a legitimate, proper, long-lasting, baggy green bond, do you think? No. No, I, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think the... Um, I think the like the mythology around the baggy green has been confected only in the last like 20, 30 years. I mean, if you ask players who played before that time, like before even probably the Steve Waugh era who mythologized it to his credit, like, and, and created a lot of value around it. Um, they, they, and I know you're not talking specifically about the cloth on your head, but no. like they would sell their baggy greens. It didn't have that kind of mentality. I mean, and when you meet the guys at that level, like a lot of them aren't, anywhere near as close friends as you would expect That's at the shocked, level. It's one of the things that shocked me the most working with some of these guys yeah. when I was at Fox and even now that I, when I was growing up, I just assumed that Steve Waugh team into the Ricky Ponting yeah, team best were mates. all best mates. Yeah. Cause I read their autobiographies yeah. and I watched the, um, what do you call it? The, the perfect day video with Steve Waugh's four of mm. the last ball. These guys are best mates. Mm. They've proven themselves not to be best mates at well, all. There's a lot of there's a lot of ego knocking around at the top level, you know. Yeah. I sort of I, I I thought Mitchell Johnson like might have finessed his words better, but ultimately like I do appreciate that he had a crack when the team has literally just won the World Cup, <laughs> World Test Championship, retained the Ashes. Like normally you have a crack at guys when they're struggling, but <laughs> you know he just didn't care. I, I thought that was kind of funny. That was got, like, it reminded me of a fast bowler at grade cricket level as well. It was brash. That was cool, but like yeah, yeah I, you know. I I think the difference is a lot of those guys, like the perfect day team or whatever, like they, they have a lot of respect and loyalty to each other as sports people and, and professionals, but it's not Christmas cards and like, um, all that kind of thing. Like even the current side, they have weddings and some get invited, some don't, yeah. you know, and actually that just makes a lot of sense. It's all like, the, it's like that in our lives as well as adults in jobs. So, yeah. yeah. Where do you sit on the David Warner uh, conversation? Oof. Should he be in the team now? And what do you think? His legacy will be when he does retire. Uh, um, on the first question, I I think that it's okay. Like this is not really, um, you know, how it's meant to fly in media. You're meant to like be really strong one way or the other. But like in life and in cricket, sometimes there are line ball calls on selections. Like, I think there are really good arguments both ways to have sacked Warner and moved on to the future, I mean, six of the side are going to be gone in two or three years, uh, and it would be great to get some games into uh, an opener like Cameron Bancroft, who's topped the shield averages, for example, uh, which, which is the old way of doing things. Um, where I thought Johnson went wrong with his argument was to, he realised he needed to, to substantiate what he was saying, he needed to discredit George Bailey, uh, who's been head selector. Uh, the problem is that 
Bailey has just presided over some of the great selecting in the history so of, many of, of cricket. Go through them for us. Seriously, um, from from uh, the Ashes all the way through to the World Cup, uh, he has selected brilliantly. And if you just concentrate on the World Cup, for example, he made calls like keeping Manus in the squad, for example, when Ashton Agar got injured. Uh, he made calls like keeping Travis Head in the squad, even though he was injured and missing half the tournament. Uh, he continually selected Adam Zampa when Zampa was barely able to walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that was Zampa probably being tough. Uh, and then he made really good calls around keeping Manus in the side in the semi and the final. And uh, English ag- as well against as well. Josh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Against uh, you know Stoinis's prospects, and he replaced Kerry with Inglis after the first mm-hmm. game as well. Now my point is that like if anybody has deserves some trust around their selection choices, it's Bailey who is in sensational form at the moment when it comes to selecting, <laughs> selecting form. Yeah, he, yeah. Well, 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 he <laughs> is great selecting. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree with you there completely about George Bailey's selection. It, it, the proof is in the pudding that by and large everything he's done has worked. And the results are there to show. And the average cricket punter would look at it and go, well, the players have played well, but they've only played well because they've been given the opportunity in the right formation to play well. Marnus at number five was there for three for 40. That's exactly what happened in a final. Yeah, that's right. And so um, I thought, you know, Bailey was entitled to say, well, my methods are working. I think if he had his time again, he wouldn't make the, you know, is Mitch okay comment. Didn't think that was, um, you know, the right choice of words at that time. But um but yeah, I, I, I think if Bailey sees it fit to retain Warner in the side, then it, it, he deserves to be trusted for that. That said, I think that if Bailey had decided that Warner, it, was t- it was Warner's time to go, yeah. I would have backed that as well. I yep. think there's really good arguments both ways. Sorry mm. to sit on the fence. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. Mm. More Sam Perry after this. This is Sports Day for Kia. Epic has arrived. The all-electric Kia EV9 and Maccas. Get them a crib, a new McCrib Deluxe. Now, Maccas, Sammy Perry's going to stick around. Is that okay? Of course. We'll talk more cricket after this. Stay with us. Yes, this is Sports Day. Tom Morris, Adam Cooney, and the great cricketers Sam Perry is in the studio, which is very, very exciting. And the temper text machine has reflected that with some uh, very positive text towards yourself, Sammy Perry. And the editorial I did last week, I think it was Friday, Thursday or Friday, was around Pat Cummins because it baffles me how he is not seen as a great leader now, even though that they've won the World Cup even though they've retained the Ashes. There is a section of people, and some of them are my friends, who think that he's still an ordinary captain and shouldn't be test captain and shouldn't be the leader of the Australian cricket team. So why is it that we, that we I say Australia, isn't as sold on Cummins as, say, we were on Ponting or War or Border or Taylor? Uh, well, I can't speak for other people because I think Pat Cummins is outstanding. So I think he's I. an outstanding so leader why are they, and, and person. Um, I he's think a the bowler. Name, there's that. I like. I try and put a good argument forward for those who are sceptical about Cummins. Mm. I think it would be that Australian cricket has always skewed uh, conservative. I don't mean politically, though that could be right too. I just mean <laughs> actually in the way uh, we play the game. You know, like we're very big on incumbency. You know, in selections, we're very big on uh, the the structure that we set up with. You know, if it was. Um, if it was uh, soccer or football, it's like we're very 4-4-2. Four, 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 yeah. You know, we, we have our formation. We have the way we do things. We have the way we play. It's embedded in our DNA. And part of that is that, like, the best player is normally a batter who captains. With and a I bit think, of a beard as well. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. It's the whole, it's the whole vibe of yeah. it. Now, you get this um, combination of Pat Cummins, who um, is not that. He's a bowler. 
He doesn't have a beard. He's actually got a um, you know sponsorship with Gillette, so he's not allowed to have one. <laughs> but that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, he yeah, look, he's a bowler. He has been outspoken about um, social causes that I think polarise people, however you want to frame that. And he was um, central to the removal of Justin Langer, who, um, whatever you think about him, is probably representing that other side of Australian cricket. He was the true blue John Williamson, arm around the shoulder, baggy green, in bed sleeping, uh, tough nugget guy. So he's, he's a <laughs> symbolic lightning rod Cummins for people who like that old style of Australian cricket. I have some sympathy for that, but at the end of the day, you have to accept that he has put performances on the board, you know, not only as a captain with retaining the ashes, they could have gone one better, of course, winning the world test championship, winning the world cup, but his performances at key moments in those series were befitting of some of the best Australian captains. On top of that, he doesn't bite back to criticism from people. He accepts it, wears it on the chin. He's also done this, might I add, not to add a guilt trip into it, with the death of his mother as well. I think he's a class act and deserves a lot of respect for that. I think it's a great call. Uh, Well said. Is there anyone in the current 11 that frustrates you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, like, do you mean from a cricketing perspective, or, or you know, just as a personality? Just, uh, just <laughs> yeah, it just wind me up. I just start. Let's <laughs> yeah, start sledging just, some guys. Just give yeah. us something. They're too good. Yeah, you know what? They all wind me up because they're t- they're too nice. These guys, you know, like, that. and if you're trying to do podcasting, uh, you know, you need stuff to happen. You need you need Mitch Johnson. You need Dave Warner. But look, uh, do do any of them frustrate me? Actually, going through. The side, look, not not really. I, no. I I think they're good dudes, and I think that you know personally, and you know, it might be uh, people might think this is like a beta opinion, but like this is a team that has been bred out of the issues that um, bubbled up with sandpaper. I mean, sandpaper was like thirty years of Australian ugly behaviour manifesting in one moment where the, the nation basically said, "Enough's enough. We need to reform how we actually do, uh, how we actually behave and conduct ourselves as." As a national team, uh, I understand that the transgressions of sandpaper were like uh, were just stuff that other guys do in other teams, and everybody does it. Yeah. But I think it was a lot of things bubbling up to one um, issue, and I think the team has built out of sandpaper to literally deliver to Australia what we were probably asking for, a well-behaved, well-conducted, successful side. But for some, it's still not enough, you know? So wh- where do you sit on ball tampering? <laughs> I miss it. I miss it. Yeah, I miss it. I miss it massively. You know, yeah, the other day I was, um, uh, you know, as is my want, uh, sitting in front of the TV, rare amount of time, and I saw that there was a KO mini of um, Australia versus India, Bangalore 2004, uh, and I just wanted to watch Warns bowl to Laxman. But within it, I was watching these Indian and Australian bowlers bowling with some of the most massive reverse tang that you've seen, and it looked awesome. And you just don't see the ball delivered like that anymore, you know? Like, Stark was on course to be Wazzy Macram for a while there uh, until these two lords came in. Uh, but um, so I, I actually miss it. I, I don't know how you actually, you know, regulate it or legislate for it, but I, I, I thought it was playing. I liked the skullduggery of ball yeah. tampering, to be honest. Speaking of skull, <laughs> yeah. Kerry O'Keefe has been on the record the last couple of days saying that he believes the Australian cricketing or Australian sporting public is falling out of love mm. with cricket. Do you agree? And if so, why? Um, I think Australia has a really, um, I think Australia has a really deep relationship with cricket that doesn't actually um, manifest in the normal ways that we're used to, like measuring these things. I mean, like 
the season of cricket has started now. I'm really pleased to say that I've come into SEN, for example, and we're talking cricket. You know, yep. we're not talking Trials. Bailey Smith, you know, 2K time <laughs> trial. Uh, we Harley, can do that if you want, Harley Reid going one. We can do that if you want. Uh, yeah, you know, Mason Wood, uh, you know, Mason back in the Wood. day. You know what? This is funny, Coon, just Pez, because... Sam Perry, when he came to Melbourne, knew nothing about AFL, and he's just reeled That's off. not true. Bailey That's not Smith, true. Mason Wood, and Harley Reid. Yeah, Mason yeah, yeah. Wood. Oh, please. <laughs> hey, I saw a plug of Kiki's 1300. Uh, I've been sitting there. Anyway. I was there. I was there. Well, um, anyway. No, I got Dark Horse Aussie rules knowledge. I just prefer to go the other way. Yeah. But um, what was the question again? <laughs> uh, do Australians like cricket? Uh, yeah, I think we have a really deep relationship with the game, actually. Uh, I just think it's pastime in Australia. I, I just think that both codes uh, in the Sharon states and in the Steedon states of rugby league have just, uh, such major media powerhouses that they're more and more owning the, spa- the, the, the conversation. And I think it's, sh- it's shrinking cricket. I also think that we've just come out of a World Cup where we have seen these images and optics of the, the, the love and passion that Indians have for the game and and then if you contrast you know that you've got 100,000 in the stadium you've got people really upset India's lost you know it's it's a national effort people I've been to India a few times people play cricket on the streets during the day you know and then you contrast that with Pat Cummins coming home to like three blokes you know and, and a driver picking him up at the airport <laughs> after Come winning an unlikely world cup yeah. but I don't think people should mistake that for, for Australia's deep love of the game I mean you know a- ABC's PO box is 9994 you know like yeah. I think there's cricket questions on the citizenship test yeah, there is. you know like we we I just think it's a it's a subtle thing. What's your favourite generation of Australian cricket? When were the glory days? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think everyone would answer this the same way, wouldn't they? Like it's it's when you were a kid and when you first fell in love with it. So so for me, I was just I count myself extremely lucky that my formative memories correspond to Shane Warne debuting. So yep. for me, like I, I was born in 85, um, yeah, 91, 92. Um, you're talking Australia in the lightning ODI kit. Uh, you know, Mark Wars uh, just burst onto the scene, whipping him through the covers. Steve Wars being Steve Wars. Late years, Alan Border. Have you had uh, Steve Wars on the podcast? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. do remember you telling a story when I think Austin Wars' son was yeah. playing a game. Yeah, can you see. just repeat that? Yeah, uh, I can because it's, it's it's public. Um, yeah. But uh, the, the story as it was told to me was from a player of my, my former club in Sydney. Um, I'll try and remember. It was from a few years ago. But basically... Uh, Steve Wall's son, Austin, was playing in a second-grade game against North Sydney. Um, this guy who wrote to me was feeling maybe at third or deep, well, fine leg, a long leg or whatever on the, on the boundary. And um, uh, he'd been in a sledging kind of encounter with, with Steve Wall's son, Austin. <laughs> and, um, and Steve Wall walks around to this North Sydney player on the boundary and says... Um, you know, I hope you can field as well as you can sledge uh, or something like that. And this guy was broken inside because Steve well, was, his, was his hero. And uh, and then apparently it continued on later in the game. Steve Wars mentally disintegrated him. A ball goes through this player's legs and Steve Wars walking around the boundary clapping going, fielding. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's just great cricket. Yeah, it gets yeah. to everybody. Uh, it's so good. So, Pez, you've got some live shows coming up and yeah. – um, Ask TGC is a fantastic podcast. We've got a minute left. Give us a plug for your podcast. If people haven't heard it, where can they listen to it? What oh, they hey, if you know how to access a podcast, just type in The Grade Cricketer. If it doesn't turn up, then we've got problems. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you, you just get it wherever you get your podcast. We're on YouTube. Uh, yeah, we've got some live shows. If you're in Sydney, which you're probably not, given where we are, we've, well, got, some t- it, yeah. we've got some tickets left to our show at the Enmore Theatre. Um, all the rest are sold out. We're really pumped. Uh, to, we've got Adelaide on Thursday, Melbourne the following week with Adam Zampa. Then we go Sydney, Brisbane, Frio. Really pumped for it. Yeah, Sam Perry, thank you very much. This is the good oil for Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. And this is Sports Day for Kia. The Epic has arrived. All-electric Kia EV9 and Maccas. Get the McCrib and new McCrib Deluxe now at Maccas. More Sports Day right after this. Adam Cooney, 
You've been fantastic. Sam Perry, you get the BOG award. That was absolutely awesome. We'll see you soon. Thanks for having me.